0: Today, we spend a few more minutes talking about self-control. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message, reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for joining us again on Preach Impediments. This podcast is made possible by EdenHollow.com, And of course, we would love for you to go over there and check out the things happening with Eden Hollow. Earlier this week, we had a great discussion about self-control with Ryan Goodwin. And I hope that episode was helpful to you. He really is a man who has focused on self-control in his life, especially in regards to running and other things that he's involved in. I thought he would be a great person to interview when it comes to the concept of self-control. We discussed the value of it, the need for it. And we even discussed some practical ways to develop some self-control. But there is one aspect of self-control that we really didn't delve into because of the time or just the way the conversation went the other day. So I wanted to make sure that we dig into that today. What does life look like without self-control? This episode is going to come across a little bit negative because we're going to talk about just how dangerous it is to live without self-control. But I do think it will be helpful to you especially if you're willing to listen to what we're going to talk about in an introspective way. Honestly, all of us deal with weaknesses of some sort or another. All of us. It's just a human condition problem. We tend to struggle with uh, having a, a good control over who we are and what we do and how we think and the way that we act on a fairly regular basis We just have different struggles than other people. So there's a story told in Proverbs chapter 7. And through the course of this episode, I want to read from verse 6 all the way down through verse 27. It's a bit of a long reading. We'll split it up into sections and talk about what's going on. But this is the story of a young man who is toying with a harlot. Or in reality, a harlot that is toying with a young man. But it's really a, an entire section uh, about a young man who doesn't have self-control. And I think you'll see that as we go through this, this reading because it will help you, I hope, even if harlotry and engaging with a harlot or uh, sexual promiscuity is not your particular issue, it is an issue that mirrors all other issues where we have lacks of self-control. Let's start reading verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youth, a young man lacking sense. Crossing the street near her corner, he strolled down the road to her house. At twilight, in the evening, in the dark of the night, Now let's stop there for a moment. That was verse six down through verse nine. Here we see a man who is toying with sin. You've got this observer who's sitting in his house looking out his window. I almost picture it like the quintessential uh, gossipy neighbor looking out the window to see what's happening in all the houses around them. Well, here we've got the the person looking out the window and what he's noticing, he's kind of observing this whole process of this young man who is toying with sin. But honestly, that's typical of the way we handle our temptations when we don't have self control. In this story, this young man, this inexperienced youth, is walking in a part of town, quote, near her corner, end quote. It's dark. It's nighttime. It honestly makes me think that here's a young man who is walking through the streets looking to catch glimpses of things that he probably should not see. He's trying to catch a glimpse of the harlot. He's trying to satisfy his eyes no matter whether he gets to satisfy his flesh or not. Now it could be that he's looking for more than that. It's not really specific but I I'll at least want to make a point there. You know, we tend to do that with different areas of sin. You know, we'll do it with anger. You know, we'll put ourselves in situations that make us angry to see if that other person is going to do that thing again. Or maybe we can relate this to uh, someone's problem with pornography. You know, they think, well, I'm not going to fail if, if if I don't go to this website, but I can browse these other things. Or they might argue, well, this television show isn't technically porn, even though it shows naked people or uh, there are scenes that he knows are going to lead him down the wrong thought path. Uh, We might do this with envy. Well, you know, I can't afford this big thing, but I'll satisfy myself with this small thing and then another small thing and then another small thing. And it just feeds that that desire for wrong, because we're toying with the desire for wrong. We can easily see the, the foolishness of this if we compare it to other uh, amoral situations. You know, for instance, I love ice cream, but nearly every time I eat ice cream, it messes up my stomach. Well, it doesn't stop me from wanting to taste ice cream. So I'll tell myself, you know, instead of having three scoops in a bowl, I'll have half a scoop, not counting the fact that I put sprinkles and chocolate chips and caramel and all the other toppings on top of it. Now I've got a full bowl of toppings with half a scoop of ice cream. That's kind of how we do with sin is we will restrict ourselves in one area only to engage and having all the rest of it. Uh, And and that. That's just, it's foolish. Uh, We are being inexperienced youth, lacking sense when we do that. Let's keep reading. Verse 10 down through verse 15 says, A woman came to meet him dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. She is loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the square, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, I have made fellowship offerings today. I've filled my vows. So I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I've found you. In this story, sin comes out to meet the man. The sin is loud, the sin is obvious. The sin is looking for someone who will fall into its traps. And that's kind of how sin works. Sin is often obvious to everyone but the one being tempted by it. You know, we look at that person who struggles with envy in the car lot, looking at brand new cars that he knows he, quote, can't afford. But then we later see him sitting at the table signing uh, the dotted line Buying something he knows that's going to trap him into debt. Giving into envy once again. Or we see that person that we know has struggled with porn in the past. Watching shows that we know are just going to lead them down that road again. And we recognize that this is going to lead to sin. But they don't. They've justified it in their head. And that's kind of how sin works that sin wraps itself into this nice, justifiable bow. You'll notice in the story, uh, it says that the woman says, I've made fellowship offerings. Today I've fulfilled my vows. There's a lot of question as to exactly what's being said there. Could be that she made her offerings, uh, meaning that she's not able to get pregnant. Maybe these are the offerings that a woman would offer at her time of the month, meaning he can get away with the sin and there won't be consequences. That's the promise it's making. Or it could be that it means she made her peace offerings, meaning she has good food at home. You know, let me invite you in. I've got the good stuff at home. I've already made the offering. And so what I've got available now is the best meat that can be found. It could be that she made her offering. That that phrase is basically a way of saying no one will suspect anything because we're both good people. Nobody has to know. In any case, this is the greatest of hypocrisies. Sin invites you to be a hypocrite. That's kind of how this whole thing works. You know, If sin were to show its ugly face, none of us would ever engage in it. But when sin can create this this justified explanation as to how you can get away with it or how people won't suspect anything or why this is going to be so great and so pleasurable, we give into it way too often. And instead of exercising self-control, we fail. Sin also makes you feel chosen or special as if that sin is just for you. The woman in the story says, I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I have found you. Now, why would this harlot be looking specifically for a young man who just happens to be walking through the street? Um, we have no indication that they have any relationship outside of this encounter. But sin is going to make him feel special and chosen as if it's just for him. And oftentimes that's the way sin presents itself. We have to recognize sin for what it is if we're going to have self-control. We have to recognize the danger of it if we're going to be willing and able to reject it even though it makes itself look so good. Well, that leads us to our next section. Here's what Proverbs seven sixteen through 18 says. She says, I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of lovemaking until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. Sin promises to satisfy us. And it's interesting here, you've got the oldest trick in the book still being used. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 mentions the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The same temptations that were thrown at Eve by the serpent in the garden, those are the temptations this woman is using to tempt this young man. The fact that she's been searching for him specifically, choosing him as her lover, this appeals to his pride that she's created this beautiful presentation of both herself and the environment for their lovemaking is lust of the eyes. The fact that she has created an environment that is pleasing to the senses by covering the bed with, with nice smelling spices, that's lust of the flesh. It's the same tricks that are always played and they are the same tricks that we fall into Time after time, sin's tricks are old, but they are effective. And we've got to have self-control if we are going to fight against them. The next two verses in Proverbs 7 say, My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of silver with him and will come home at the time of the full moon. You know, sin promises you can get away with it. It'll say no one will ever know. Or no one has to find out. Or no one's going to check behind you. The problem with it is that God always knows. And if you take Jesus' words for truth, Luke chapter 12, verse 2 through 3, Jesus makes this statement. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light Whatever you have whispered in an ear in private room will be proclaimed on the housetop. If even the things we have whispered in private will be made known, how do you think we should view all the other sins? We need to be those who are willing to not just have self-control and to avoid sinning in the first place. And maybe this concept that our sins are going to find us out should be a motivation to give us enough fear to not engage in sin in the first place. But the truth is, we also need to be the kind of people who have enough integrity to come forward with our sin, to confront sin, to to argue with sin against its very lies, and to be willing to deal with them the way God says to deal with them. The last few verses for us to consider start in verse 21. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures him with flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. Now, son, listen to me. Pay attention to the words from my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her path, for she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Notice what it says here about sin. Her victims are countless. Know that sin has a way of capturing all of us. Whether we're talking about sexual acts, whether those be acts that are are truly in practice or just imaginations or pornography or greed and envy and jealousy. We might struggle with anger or the mistreatment of others. We might really have a problem with hypocrisy. It could be that the sins we struggle with, we would qualify as sins of the tongue. What I want you to realize is this. They all lead to the same place. Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death, it says. Is that the road you want to be on? Is that the road you really want to travel if you belong to God? We're told over in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. I want you to hear me. I want to make sure you're really paying attention here. Self-control matters. Because self-control keeps us off the road to death. We need to be those who are willing to exercise a little control over who we are, how we think, and how we act. But I don't want to just leave you with bad news and a challenge to live a life more perfectly according to God's standard. I want to leave you with a little bit of hope. The rest of Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says this. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, we should have self-control. But for the moments when we don't, we have a Savior. We need to realize that self-control is important. It is the standard. It's what we should strive for. But when we mess up, we have a God who freely gives to us eternal life. As long as we are willing to walk with him, and to live like his son, Jesus, and to trust in his advocacy for us. He is our propitiation. And if you haven't heard that episode, look it up. It's a great one that will give you hope for tomorrow. Thank you again for listening to Preach Impediments. I hope this episode wasn't discouraging to you, but was motivating in a way that will cause you to either get control of some aspects of your life that you've let be a little loose, and if you have been sinning, to be upfront with those sins. Confront them so that sin cannot have power over you anymore. No matter what sin promises you, it will not deliver on those promises, but God will. God will deliver on his promise for punishment for those who do not know him, and he will also deliver on his promise for eternal life for those who do. So I hope you will come to know Jesus as your Lord. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of what we're trying to do here. And we hope this has been helpful to you. If you know of others that might need to hear this episode or maybe others who uh, would like to have a better explanation of different words that we use that come out of the Bible or just come out of the mouths of preachers and and, uh, people in religious positions, refer them to this podcast. We want this audience to grow, not because it helps us. We get nothing from this other than knowing that we are helping people draw closer to God. And we hope that it's been able to do that for you and for others you might share it with. If we can help you in some way, reach out to us. My contact info is at preachimpediments.com and we would love for you to check out edenhollow.com and some of the other things that we are doing. Until next time,